0: But my, my goal is not to hold this hair uh, too long. And last week we talked about um, using things improperly, right? You remember what the prop was we had? A, can. a soda can, right? It was a soda can. And we talked about using things improperly. And we talked about how it's one thing. I, 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 saw, I saw you throw some bottles of water up here. Where'd they go? It's over here. Um, we talked about using things improperly, and we talked about it being okay to use the canon improperly, not so much okay to use the Bible improperly. And we talked about a passage that I admittedly have used improperly for a very long time, right? The passage where Jesus talks about, thank you, sir, what it will be like in heaven in terms of marriage and trying to make a whole theology or doctrine of marriage in heaven based on that text. When Jesus is really talking about thinking about all things in light of eternity, Right? All things that we hold near and dear here. Today is a passage that I think, not, probably not all of us, probably not as commonly used um, in an in a, in a, in a, uh, improper way or used in a way outside of context. But today is one I think that um, we, we may do that with. And, and um, I want us to talk about it in context and see what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying to us through it in context. And so the main idea that I want us to walk away from today, uh should pop up here on the screen, is that Jesus is our sure hope. Jesus is our sure hope. Okay? And I would highlight, I didn't highlight up there, but I would highlight the term sure. That he's the hope that we can trust in. That he's the hope that we can bank on. Amen? I don't know how you do it, Rachel, but it's been before before your sabbatical and since your sabbatical, you just seem to hit with the songs on exactly what, what what I plan to talk about. And it's just interesting when you talk about hope in the song. And if there's anything that seems to be lacking not just in the world, but even in church, is hope. Hopelessness seems to be taking us by storm. And my prayer for us, in this sermon, and just in this life, is that we would truly come to rest in the Lord Jesus Christ as our sure hope. Because sure, Lord knows there's enough hard things to rob us of hope, right? So, we're going to read this text. On this I'm going to this one. We're going to read... Luke 21, verses 5 through 19. And then we'll pray together. And then we'll jump into the sermon. Beginning in verse 5. Some of his disciples, Jesus' disciples, were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you're not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and put you in prison and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will, be, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. And this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me, friends. Restore us again, Father. Lord, you indeed are the God of our salvation. And Jesus, so much comes into our life, so much is thrown our way to cause us to forget that. To make it hard to see you. To make it hard to hope. My prayer, God, is that today, through the preaching of your word, through the presence of your Holy Spirit, that you would make this hope real in our hearts. Jesus, make the hope that you give us real. Let it settle down in our hearts all the way down to our bellies, God. Break the bonds of hopelessness, of despair, of depression, and all that the enemy brings to destroy, to rob us of joy. Put the devil on notice this morning. May your name be glorified, Lord Jesus. Restore us again. We beg you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Jesus and his disciples—they—they are uh, departing the temple, and this is after the scene. If you're familiar with it, with the scene where Jesus is in the temple with his disciples and their religious leaders casting their big, their big gifts, their big wads of money into the into the cauldrons, and they're you know they're being impressive with all their gifts and things and. Then an old woman, a little old lady comes up, and she drops in two little, what they call mites. They make up a fraction of a penny. And Jesus gets excited by the two little mites. Unimpressed by everything else that's been thrown in there, he gets excited at the two little mites. And he said, now this woman, this woman has given the good gift. Why? Because she gave all that she had to live on and so after this particular scene they're leaving the temple and as they're leaving the temple the disciples look back some of the disciples look back and they say teacher look at these big stones look at how and what's even more ironic is that they look and they also talk about the gifts that were laid in the temple Um, I don't like to speak too negatively about the disciples but They seem dense. Jesus has just gone through a very clear example of being unimpressed by the opulence of gifts, and here they are remarking about the gifts. But before we get too hard on the disciples, I want us to see a picture of the temple, because the temple indeed was beautiful. This is a this is not an actual picture, of course. They didn't have cameras back then, um, but this is a, a kind of a modeling, AI modeling of what the temple would look like. And I want you to see um, that one of the main uh, uh, facets of the temple was gold and it couldn't it wasn't gold plating it was gold through and through so the door is gold the crown at the top is gold and then when you go into the holy of holies which is those doors right there when you go into there it's just everything is overlaid with gold you have the ark of the covenant in gold it truly was gorgeous it was beautiful if you've ever been to philadelphia um philadelphia is i think it's the oldest city in the in the uh, union right babe Nicole? Okay, that wasn't a yes or no. Um, Philadelphia is a real old city, and it has these really elaborate buildings. And these buildings are made from huge cuts of like marble and limestone. It's quite impressive, right? But imagine. And that was with some fairly decent technology. But imagine these stones like look here at the top. Those are whole stones hewn and somehow they got it up above the entrance. You see that? How did they do that? Right. And so when the disciples look back at the temple and say they say, Lord, look at these massive stones. They're in awe because they're thinking just like us. How did they get it up there? They're in awe of this temple. Well, in response to their astonishment, Jesus looks back at the temple and he says, you see these massive stones? He says, not one of them will be left on another and not one of them will be left and not destroyed. In other words, Jesus is telling them emphatically in no uncertain terms that the temple is going to be destroyed and not just kind of destroyed. It's about to be destroyed, destroyed. In 70 AD, if you go to the next picture, if you go to the next picture, uh, in 70 AD, uh, the Roman Empire descended on Jerusalem and completely and utterly laid waste to the entire city, including the temple. The historian Josephus, he writes that if you walked through the entire melee, that you would be wading up to your knees in blood that blood and fire flowed through the streets. It was laid waste. And what I want us to consider, though, is how incredibly mind-blowing the idea of what we just saw going from that to this was. The temple meant everything to Jewish people like these disciples. For them, the temple was the very presence of God among them. As far as they were concerned, no temple meant no God. So how would God come to us without the temple? How would he hear our prayers? How would he receive our sacrifices and bless us? For a Jew, Jesus' words would have been understood as the highest heresy. Here is why, when he is delivered up, when he is arrested, what do they charge him? They say, this man says that he will what? destroy the temple. Of course, he was speaking about his body, but to speak in such strong terms against the temple was equated to speaking like that about the Lord God himself. And this is because, brothers and sisters, the temple served as their highest hope and security. Furthermore, if there was no temple, where would the Messiah come? Where would he set up his kingdom? Surely the temple would be the messianic headquarters, right? And so then, after saying this, the disciples ask Jesus. They say, "What sign will accompany this catastrophe?" And and it's likely that they're th- they're thinking in terms of the end of days. And we won't go too much into this, except that I say that often I think this particular passage is misunderstood for speaking directly to the end of time when Jesus comes back but it's speaking to something a little more immediate when the temple is destroyed in A.D. 70. We won't go too deep into that. I know I've perked up some of your theological ears there, but we'll, we'll just move forward. Just to say that when they thought of this temple being done away with and being destroyed, it was unthinkable that time would even continue beyond it. If the temple is destroyed, then that has to be the end because God is gone, right? God has left us. That's, that's the way that they're thinking, And I want us to focus on this particular sentiment right here, their hope being placed so highly in the temple, brothers and sisters, because I think that this speaks to something that we all deal with. I think this speaks to something that we all struggle with, and that's essentially finding our eternal or ultimate hope and security in anything other than Jesus. We all struggle with this. All of us have holy temples in our lives. All of us have holy temples in our lives. All of us have things that we hold so near and dear that if we are honest, we could not imagine continuing without them. All of us. And what I want us to hear this morning, that these are usually very good things. These are things that God has blessed us with. We are blessed to have them a part of, be a part of our lives, relationships, careers, uh, whatever it may be. And the way we avoid not placing our ultimate hope in them is not to avoid having them or to avoid loving them. I want to say this again. The way that we avoid not placing our ultimate hope in these things is to avoid having them or loving them. That's not the way to do it. I love the way C.S. Lewis says, he says, if you love deeply, you're going to get hurt badly. But it's still worth it. But it's still worth it. But like Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples, with anything that we have and hold near and dear in this world, we have to submit to the fact, brothers and sisters, and here's the hard part, that nothing we hold near and dear will last forever. All that we place our hope in this life will ultimately fail us in some way, and it will hurt. So what's the answer? The answer is recognizing and believing, believing deep down, as the Bible would say, believing down in our bowels, deeper than our hearts, that Jesus is better and that having Jesus is better. And that's our first point this morning. Jesus is better than than anything we have. In Matthew chapter 12, when referring to the Pharisees who were who trying to con- condemn Jesus and his disciples for picking grains and eating on the Sabbath, Jesus looks at them, and, and, and I love the way that our Lord is a master of the scriptures. He looks at them and said, Do you not know what David did in the temple when he and his men were hungry and he went into the temple and he ate some of the consecrated bread that was only for the priest to eat? And then he looks at them and says, Something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than the temple is here. And he was talking about himself. Sometimes I wish I could have been a fly on a wall when Jesus just dumbfounded these great learned men. Jesus' conclusion was that if David could do something like that in the holy temple... How much more can Jesus, because he is not only greater than David, he is greater than the temple itself. You see, if the disciples truly recognized who Jesus was as he walked among them, when he talked about the destruction of the temple, their response would have been, so what? So what? So what? Because you, because Jesus, we have you and you are so much more than the temple. In you, Jesus, God our Father is nearer to us than he has ever been. And friends, He is near to us. He is near to us. As I look out, I I don't I don't read minds. I'm not God, I don't know what's in the heart of men, hearts of men. But um, as a pastor here, I've gotten the sense that there's a lot of heaviness in the hearts of our people. And in the heaviness, it is least likely to know that Jesus is near. But I want, to re- I want to remind us, I want to assure us this morning, those of us especially who feel the heaviness, that Jesus is near. Jesus is near, and his nearness is greater than anything else that we hold near and dear. He is near. And my prayer for all of us is that we would experience this. You won't just hear these words and have to hold on to it intellectually. That we would all experience this. And so my second point this morning is this, that Jesus helps us in the darkest moments. So Jesus does tell his disciples a sign of uh, the signs of the coming of the impending destruction of the temple. And the first sign he gives them is probably not the sign they were hoping for. The first sign he gives them is the fact that they are going to be intensely persecuted. Right. He says before this thing happens, let's go to verse 12. You pop it up here. He says, but before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You'll be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. In other words, what Jesus says, to put it succinctly, is that through all of this stuff that is going to serve as a sign of this impending uh, d- destruction of the temple, all of this stuff that you will go through in my name, all of this persecution, Jesus very plainly, I got you. I got you. All of this coming down on you, I got you. And friends, as I hear Jesus, it becomes so just impossible for me to understand how it is that people have created whole Christian doctrines of ease. How in the world do people look at the scripture and come to the conclusion that the Christian life is equated to a life of ease? That's not what Jesus says, brothers and sisters. Following Jesus means to court difficulty and and suffering in different ways and to differing degrees. But the greatest comfort that we have as Christians, brothers and sisters, it's not found in things or people or any of that other stuff we hold there. It's in Jesus. Because in those promised difficult moments, all things will ultimately fail us, except Jesus. The reason Jesus told them to not prepare anything to say before they spoke to the faces of their persecutors was likely because in their own strength they would say things they should not say. In their own strength, they would fail. But the peace they would have as they looked ahead to these moments of persecution and suffering was that Jesus would give them exactly what they needed and that in this way they would fulfill the purposes of God in their suffering, to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, I, I do want you to know that these men, they did all face some level of terrible suffering. James was, was executed in the middle of the, the public square. Peter was crucified upside down. Stephen was stoned to death. John was prisoned on the, the, the prison island of Patmos. And Jesus was telling them what he's telling us this morning, that it is in him that we have a sure hope, that he will help us, that he will give us what we need to persevere through the difficulties of this life. And this brings us to our final moment this morning. Friends, I just want you to know that it's not the most fun sermon to preach because it's a sermon that I, ho- I, I, I try to preach to myself each and every single day. My prayer is that the Lord would indeed make his sure, her, her sure hope real to us. And our final point is this, that Jesus keeps us. In verses 18 through 19, Jesus says, But not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. Now, based on the history I just shared, it is clear that Jesus did not mean that these men would not be harmed. They were all harmed and harmed indeed. Indeed. But Jesus was speaking about an ultimate reality. Jesus was saying here exactly what he says to Martha in John chapter 11, verse 25, when she's grieving the death of her brother. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. I am the resurrection and the life. Friends, you don't have to be on this earth long to know that suffering and difficulty is just a part of the deal. You ain't got to be around very long to, to learn that ease is not promised. However, for those of us who are in Christ, we have the sure hope that Jesus has us, that he will keep us, and that he will carry us safely into eternal life. We have the sure hope that Jesus has us. that he will keep us and he will carry us safely into eternal life for jesus is our sure hope amen and as we turn our hearts and our minds to the lord's table as pastor drew will lead us through full transparency this week was 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 a tough one I have a family member who is, who is um, battling illness quite terribly. And believing that the Lord will bring her through, I, I am. But any short of the Lord, that's not, that's not likely. Um, or I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But as I sat in the hospital room with her, holding her hand and having her weep, and plead with God that she not die and as I have as she pleads with God with all of her hopes I want to see my grandchildren I want to do this and as I held her hand and realized that I was completely powerless to do anything I was reminded that Jesus is our only hope Jesus is our only hope. If you're here this morning and you indeed are wrestling with hopelessness, can I offer you the hope that Jesus brings? When we take up this cracker and dip it in this juice, the broken body of our Lord and his blood shed, That's just what we're declaring. That he is out. He is out. Let's pray. Jesus, be our hope. Restore us again. Restore us. Keep us. Strengthen us. O oh Lord Jesus. Restore us.